In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. This is the sermon I gave on the first Sunday after Easter, a quarter of a century ago, 1993, so I was 38 years old. I'm going to dedicate it to all of you who suffer with and for your aging parents. Last Sunday after Easter dinner, I drove to Louisiana to see my mother and father who live on a beautiful place called Inglewood Plantation. We bought the farm from my grandfather just after World War II, farmed there for several years, then managed it from a distance as my father went into the oil business in El Dorado. At age 40, he resigned his position as executive vice president at Murphy Oil Corporation to become a priest. He took to heart these words of Jesus. Whoever would be great among you must be your servant. And whoever would be first among you must be slave of all. For the Son of Man also came not to be served, but to serve, and to give his life as a ransom for many. I was in the sixth grade when he was elected bishop. Our family was in Athens, Greece, the day of the election. I was sharing a hotel room with my cousin Claiborne, who now holds the job my father had with Murphy Oil. My father is Christoph Keller, Jr. I am Christoph Keller III. The phone rang in the middle of the night in our hotel room. It was Bishop Brown in Little Rock. Is this Chris Keller? Yes. Chris, this is Bob Brown. You were elected on the seventh ballot. Imagine my surprise. <laughs> At supper last Monday evening, my mother and I talked about Christoph Keller, Jr. We miss his wisdom, strength, and extraordinary depth of spirit. He still possesses kindness, remarkably. He began to show symptoms of Alzheimer's disease around 1983. My mother warned us then that something was happening to our father. I asked her Monday what, she, what had been the early signs. She said she noticed that he no longer finished books. Dad always underlined as he read. Now the marks ended with the first chapter. He also struggled with arithmetic. Waiters and taxi drivers were picking up extraordinary tips. I spent some time Monday afternoon alone with Dad. It was a gorgeous day in central Louisiana. We sat outside near the garden. There's a luscious smell this time of year from Magnolia Fuscata. Dad sat in the car with the doors open, and I stood by. He didn't want to get out, and there was no reason for me to make him. He cannot really talk, and it seems to distress him when people try to make him communicate. So I just stood by, leaning on the car and soaking in the spring. It was like keeping vigil. It felt good. 
I think much of the worst anguish of Alzheimer's is behind us now. It was awful when we all first realized what was happening. He became disoriented when leading worship. We got lost in hotels. It went from bad to worse. Dad became highly anxious and distressed. He seemed to feel that he was supposed to be someplace else, doing something for someone else. He had lost most of his capacity to serve, but that psychic motor still compelled him. It was excruciating. As I stayed by my father in the garden, I thought some about the modern medical predicament. We were becoming victims of our success in forestalling death. Do not misunderstand me. I'm as much in favor of forestalling death as anyone. But there is a price attached to our progress against disease. The longer we live, the more vulnerable we are to Alzheimer's and similar diseases of the brain. Both for the victims and their families, this is an especially long and painful way to die. Jesus said to Thomas, Put your finger here and see my hands. Reach out your hand and put it in my side. Do not doubt, but believe. Thomas answered him, My Lord and my God. Jesus said to him, Have you believed because you have seen me? Blessed are those who have not seen and yet believe. Among the many gifts I received from my father, certainly one of the most meaningful is that he made it easy to believe. It was almost too easy in my family. My mother and I were laughing that with that around, God could seem redundant. Her friend Jane Wolfe had told her the same thing. Jane said, when did you ever need Jesus until lately? You had Chris Keller. He certainly possessed enough of the attributes of God to make a reasonable facsimile to me. When Keller Hall was dedicated at Camp Mitchell last summer, a massive wooden plaque was unveiled to honor him. It includes a description of my father from the Epistle to the Galatians. The fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness gentleness, self-control. On Monday, the second day of Easter, I stood in silence by the man who had passed his faith along to me. Now that he has been disabled, I have to look for the Spirit elsewhere, including within my own soul. It is not seen as clearly there as it was in him, but I have learned to recognize it there from time to time. I have also seen it in some of you. Dostoevsky had it right. Without a belief in immortality, a man believes in nothing. Walt Whitman saw this too. He asked, Do you think I could walk pleasantly and well-suited toward annihilation? This is Whitman's poem. Do you suspect death? If I were to suspect death, I should die now. Do you think I could walk pleasantly and well-suited toward annihilation? Pleasantly and well-suited, I walk. Whither I walk, I cannot define, but I know it is good. 
The whole universe indicates that it is good. The past and the present indicate that it is good. I swear I see now that everything has an eternal soul. The trees have, rotted in the ground, the weeds of the sea have, the animals. I swear I think there is nothing but immortality, that the exquisite scheme is for it, that the nebulous float is for it, and the cohering is for it, and all preparation is for it, and identity is for it, and life and death are for it. Life is too good to end in death. Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have come to believe. My belief does not keep me cheerful every moment. I suppose I am just as prone to sadness, just as vulnerable to fear. I suffer from anxiety, my belief in resurrection notwithstanding. But I do not grieve as others do who have no hope. I draw strength and comfort from this hope. The sufferings of death are the pangs of a second birth. My father's better days all lie ahead. Pleasantly and well-suited, he will walk again. I think now not only of my father, but of all of those in this generation who now languish in their beds, in homes, hospitals, and nursing homes. They were John F. Kennedy's new generation, born in this century, tempered by war, disciplined by a hard and bitter peace, proud of our ancient heritage. They endured the Great Depression. They defeated the Germans and the Japanese, leaving us a better world through their sacrifice. They outlasted the communists in Russia. That generation was further tempered by the Kennedys' assassination and Martin Luther King's. They were tested by Vietnam. They were disturbed by evidence that the United States of America fulfills in its own way the parable of the wheat and tares. The kingdom of heaven may be compared to a man who sowed good seed in his field, but while men were sleeping, his enemy came and sowed weeds among the wheat and went away. So when the plants came up and bore grain, then the weeds appeared also. My parents' generation managed to pluck some of the more conspicuous weeds that they had inherited. Black Americans claimed equal rights under the Constitution on their watch. They raised children through the 60s, a distressing era for most of them that they endured. They revolutionized the role of women in society. It will remain to be seen whether the generation of their children will rise to the challenges of our age with as much dignity and courage, with as many manifestations of the Holy Spirit as we witnessed in our parents. We insisted we would do better. Now it's our turn, and we will see. While the Woodstock generation squares to face the future, our parents are facing death. They grapple with the final enemy. I think of my mother and father and their friends when I watch movies from the 40s. Benny Goodman, Ginger Rogers, and Fred Astaire are their representatives. Then they were young, vital, and beautiful. They had conquered the world. 
the possibilities were unlimited. They knew how to dance and swing. They ain't what they used to be, nor shall be. So it is with the resurrection of the dead. What is sown is perishable. What is raised is imperishable. It is sown in dishonor. It is raised in glory. It is sown in weakness. It is raised in power. Thank you.